Welcome to The Just Pod, a podcast by the Criminal Justice Section of the ABA, the unified voice of criminal justice. Welcome to this episode of The Just Pod. Today, we're joined by Kim Parker, a prosecutor from Kansas, and our new section chair. Well, she's been operating as a section chair since the annual meeting, but this is her first solo check-in with the chair episode. So welcome, Kim. Thanks for joining us again. Thank you. It's my pleasure. I'm very excited to be in this position, and I'm looking forward to the work of the section in the year ahead. It's a busy group of people, very active and very committed to making criminal justice the very best it can be. Absolutely. And speaking of busy, it's already been a busy first couple months for you. We've been at one meeting after the other. We had the Southeastern Institute after annual, and then after that, we went to London for the White Collar Crime Institute. It was another great institute. And just recently, you were here in D.C. with us for the Fall Institute. Can you tell us some highlights from that institute? Well, I think one of the most important things that have come, has come out of this institute is that we have the opportunity to deliver some awards for the work that people have been doing maybe a large part of their lives in criminal justice or something special that they may have done recently. And so we deliver a series of criminal justice section awards. And uh, this year it was a well-attended event. Let me talk to you a little bit about some of the award winners. So the Charles R. English Award this year was awarded to Judge Arthur L. Burnett Sr. And he is familiar to so many of us because he has been working tirelessly on criminal justice issues most of his life. He, uh, he proudly accepted the award and offered his own life up as a sequel to the amazing work that was highlighted by our uh, keynote speaker, who was Judge Mark Gurgel, who has recently written a book about the unexampled courage of Sergeant Isaac Woodard and what civil rights decisions that were so important to our society that followed that particular story. So Judge Burnett, his amazing career in criminal justice was something worth honoring and rewarding. We always give the Livingston Hall Juvenile Justice Award, and this year we were able to honor the also long, lifelong work of Judge Jay Blitzman, who has served the first justice of the Middlesex Division of the Massachusetts Juvenile Court from 2008 to 2019. His commitment to juvenile justice issues are unparalleled, and we were so glad to be able to move this particular award to him. The Frank Carrington Crime Victim Attorney Award this year is something that we can give to individuals, but also organizations. And so it was a very exciting event to be offering this to the Network for Victim Recovery in D.C. They provide wraparound legal services to victims. It really empowers victims who come into the criminal justice system 
to deal with the many challenges that they face. And their work has expanded drastically in the last 10 years. So in this instance, we were able, in honoring them, to bring in their entire team of young lawyers, which was exciting, especially for those of us who've been around for a while, to see these young faces working on these important criminal justice issues. The Norm Mailing Minister of Justice Award was also proudly given to Camelia Valdez. She's in Pasaki County, prosecutor, and she was the first woman Hispanic district attorney in that state. She was surrounded by family and friends, and we were so excited to hear what she had to say and deliver back to us some of the amazing projects that she's been working on. The Raider Tazlitt Award is awarded to a professor who is doing amazing work in the area of criminal justice with their writings and scholarship. This was awarded this year to Professor Joseph L. Hoffman. And finally, we awarded our Green Law writing, student writing competition to Michael DePascal for his writing. This is a very important way which our section can reach out to young law students and invite them to become part of our section and to ignite something in the area of criminal justice by writing an article and winning this competition. It's always a highlight of the year to be able to recognize people for their work. And it's nice to see the criminal justice community come together at the luncheon to honor these people. So what else can you tell us about the programming and the other action that was going on during fall? Right. So one of the things that we do at the Institute is we break out a keynote at the beginning of the day to get everyone excited. And then we do our uh, luncheon keynote. And then we end with an exciting plenary session. So let me walk you through what we started with. We had a rousing start with Rachel Rollins, who is in Suffolk County, Massachusetts. And she has as a new DA there, started some very important progressive, if you will, responses to the criminal justice issues that we face. She has drawn some controversy, and she has faced that mightily, responding with her intent to bring treatment to substance use disorders and also to respond effectively for not bringing people into the system that maybe can be treated elsewhere with alternative sentencing projects such as diversion or restorative justice. So it was fun starting out with her. And the fact that she is a woman prosecutor was nice for me coming in as a prosecutor chair. She then led us into the very first Women in Criminal Justice Task Force plenary sessions. It was a interactive, involved event where the Women in Criminal Justice Task Force gave the group of attendees the chance to hear the stories that they have been hearing around the nation during their listening sessions. And in that, they assigned different groups. They broke us up into groups, moved us around the room, and each of us were given an assigned task to assess one of the problems 
that a woman as a criminal justice professional has actually faced in the United States and then offer back some solutions. It was an engaging process and people really got excited for the things that were to happen throughout the day. At lunch, as I've already mentioned, we heard from Judge Richard Mark Gergel about his book. His presentation brought chills, tears, and goosebumps to those of us that were in attendance and were listening to his remarks. If you have not had a chance to take a look at his book, you should do so. I think it's widely available at different outlets. He was able to bring that historic story of Isaac Woodard to the forefront again so that we can think about it and discuss it as we move forward and determine what we should do in the future in response to those very important social issues of racial injustice. The day was ended by design, hearing from youth in the communities of Maryland who are conducting youth teen diversion programs as part of the global youth justice initiatives and organizational projects that they put on or actually implement through diversion teen youth diversion courts throughout the U.S. The crowd was mesmerized by their reenactment of a real bullying case where these young people presented opening and closing arguments and testimony in front of a jury of young people. They were then required to recommend sort of sentencing or dispositional responses to the crime that had been committed by the youth. And their response was very thoughtful and insightful. After that, our crowd of attendees was able to ask each one of these individuals that were involved or young people that were involved to tell us why they were involved in this and what it meant to them. And their answers were amazing and also inspiring. So looking from the crowd upon these youth people, it gives us, I think, a lot of hope in what the future will hold. Their answers were also very real and reminded us that the challenges that our young people face are daunting and that our work in the criminal justice section is so necessary to help them with these challenges that they face. We actually live streamed that mock trial and it's still available on our Twitter handle for our listeners. If you're interested in watching the mock trial itself, you can find that at our handle at ABACJS. And going back to the other activities, our committee and council met during the Fall Institute as well. That brings us to the next topic that will be good for our listeners to know about. And that is the nominations process for council. That's opening up in December, correct? Can you tell us more about the work that council does and how our listeners can submit their nominations in December? Absolutely. So the council, which I've been a part of for 10 years, I first became part of the council as a prosecutor from Kansas, liaison from the National District Attorneys Association. So my work, uh, originally was as a representative for them. And then I became part of the main council, 
not as an liaison, but as an elected member. I cannot tell you how rewarding that work has been and how informative it has been and the organized effort of the council to collaborate and work together is, is something that has made progress throughout the years through resolutions and standards work. We opened the nominations for people to be part of council in December. And so there will be a process, an application process, that individuals can be nominate themselves or have someone else nominate them. The nominating committee will form and actually deliberate at mid-year about the nominations that we receive for council. And then the membership will be able to examine those before they are finally elected and become part of council at the annual meeting. We hope that we will have people from all of the different areas, judicial, academic, prosecution, defense, public or private, seek nomination and enhance their own particular careers and interest in criminal justice work. Thank you. And for our listeners, you can look to our website, the Criminal Justice Section's website, for more information about the specific positions that will be opening up. And there'll be information online about where to submit your nomination forms. But I think Kim and I would both encourage everyone to put forward your nominations. We want diversity and representation in our council. Kim, would you agree? Absolutely. I think if there's anything about, if you could identify as a clear theme for this year and something that I hope to promote throughout the year is that we demand diversity in all that we do. We require inclusivity with those in the different, not only the different practice areas, but geographical diversity, racial diversity, diversity of thought, gender diversity. We want to hear from the voices of people that are working in the practice of criminal justice because we serve a very, very diverse population. And only to be hearing from one portion of the population just does not cut it. So it's important that we focus on making sure that our council is very diverse in all ways. And I can tell you, once you get to council, there is equity because we intend to listen to everyone that sits at that table. As some of you may know that have listened in before, we have a program that allows us to reach into the community of criminal practice lawyers to enhance our diverse involvement, the diversity fellows. And these fellows are invited in to attend council, and we sponsor that. And then they are required to give back to the section in some way. So this year, we are happy to announce two new fellows, Andrea Alibi, who is the managing district attorney in Gwinnett County, Alabama, and also Faraz Mohammadi, who was in defense and now has moved over to a U.S. attorney's office in California. We look forward to what they will bring back to our organization, and we wish them well. Great. Thank you. Okay, so we have a little bit of time off between meetings after a busy season, and it will be 
February before we have another meeting, and that will be the larger ABA mid-year meeting in Austin. So, Kim, can you share some details around the section's plans for that meeting? Yes, some of our committees are now working really hard to put forward a presentation during that meeting, as well as we will, of course, meet and do our nominations, as I previously discussed. Also, there are plans for our long-range planning group to come together and continue to meet because we have big plans for the future. As to the larger ABA, this is an important meeting because from our section, we will advance several resolutions because the House of Delegates meets at the mid-year meeting, and they can consider our resolutions and hopefully pass those things that we have determined to be important. And for our listeners, if you'd recall, we do a special episode on the resolutions that the section puts forward. So you can look forward to hearing more about that in February. So moving into big news for next year, we talked a little bit about this last time we were together for check-in with the chair. Can you tell us about what is happening in 2020 for the section and anything else our listeners should know about that celebration. We have a wonderful title, and I think in large part that goes to you, Emily, for suggesting that we theme our 2020 celebration as perfecting our vision 2020. This, I think, brings us to a focus which allows us to look in hindsight of the things that the criminal justice section has been involved with for over 100 years and the things that have happened in the United States in the area of criminal justice and criminal law over those years. Monumental decisions and cases that were decided, other sort of societal events that may have kept us involved in trying to make a difference. Some of those years, we may not have made the difference that we would now consider to be the best. And that's how we get to the perfection piece. Looking back informs us of how we should move forward. One of the things that clearly comes out of that is the theme that I just talked about, and that is making sure our response is diverse, inclusive, and equitable. Also, I think as an older practitioner, it is very, very clear to me that we need to bring in that next generation of individuals, young lawyers that have been practicing to perfect our vision forward and understand that it is an organizational vision to carry out criminal justice reforms. You know, in the years that we had a lot of reform was 1960s to 1970s, and then the next several years, we sort of marched to this place of overcriminalization and mass incarceration. When we look back at those things, it allows us to perfect our vision in the future so that we don't make some of those same errors and that we are sensitive to the things that we really want to do in the future in making progress over the next 100 years. Now, that's a big task, but we will be celebrating the perseverance that we've had for the last 100 years. We hope to kick off some big receptions 
in the year, both at the spring and the annual meeting, and carrying forward that for the last half of the year with uh, the incoming chair, April Frazier Camara. We also are trying to put together a video which will sort of analyze some of the big decisions that involved our section in that hundred years, speaking to those that have been working in the section for a long, long time. We'll be putting out some articles through our criminal justice section magazine that highlights our work in criminal justice, looking hindsight and, and looking forward. So it's an exciting year for people to be involved. And I would encourage you, if you're listening to this podcast and you're not now a member of our section, take the time to become a member. It will certainly enhance your career and it will be rewarding for you personally. There's a lot to look forward to, and I'm sure we'll touch on some of those topics on the podcast as well. Well, 100 years is a long time, (laughs) and so there's lots of opportunity for us to reflect and think about what the section's work has been and what it can be. So thank you, Kim, for sharing that with us. Emily, I hope you don't mind. I would like to mention one thing that I kind of forgot to mention on this podcast. Of course. So over that long period, some people may be aware, around 1974, the criminal justice section initiated a standards project, development of standards that would guide the work of practitioners. So that is, in my mind, a large part of that 100-year history. So at our recent council meeting in D.C., we had the first reading, which is part of this long development process of these standards, of discovery standards. And they specifically look at how do those that are in the daily criminal practice of law deal with the monumental task of making sure a defendant gets the materials they need. It includes, obviously, the delivery by prosecution of anything exculpatory, but also it includes all the other things that a defendant needs to know before exercising their right to trial and before engaging or being subjected to the criminal justice process. So our task force that worked on that for three years, led by Judge Martin Marcus, and the reporter who worked on this for us was Jennifer Lauren. They were, of course, at council, and we went through the first reading of the discovery standards, which is a very deliberate process. And we were successful in finishing our first reading, and we anticipate and will be doing at the spring meeting the second reading. So those of you that might be interested in this, please come. You're welcome to come and observe council in the spring when we meet in Kansas City. Lots to look forward to. And we'll enjoy just a little time off before we get really busy again. There'll be lots of meetings coming up in the spring, but we'll have another chance to check in with you before that time comes around. Well, thank you again, Kim, for joining us on the podcast. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners for joining us on this episode of The Just Pod. 